Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. That was a little. I'm, I'm David Bax. That, that was a little bit of a subdued hello for you. Well, is that because Trace is asleep in the yeah? Extreme? People are sleeping, and I'm. I got to tell you, David, I'm a little exhausted. I, Why is I, that? I just. Uh, I just got back from a vacation to Saint Martin, which is in the Caribbean, a, a Virgin Island. But it is a Virgin. Yes, very virginal. Though you wouldn't know it to look at the locals. Um, they're uh, oh, yeah? very. Are they promiscuous? Yeah. Well, D- David, I know that you're a fan of hedonism, <laughs> and uh, there's there's a lot of that going on uh, on Saint Martin. But uh, it's not true of me. Yes, I know. It was, I'm sorry, everybody. That was just a joke. Um, but uh, yeah, and so you know, we were doing a lot of things that I don't normally do, like go outside, and <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, and uh, and so like we went snorkeling and stuff, and so I and we spent a lot of time in, of course, a beautiful ocean. I'll definitely give it that. But. Uh, I still, it's several days later now, David, and I still feel as if I'm uh, bobbing up and down in the water or on a boat or something, and uh, it's a little, little off I mean, you were mostly on land. You flew there. Yeah. Did you fly direct? No. Flew from L.A. to Miami to San Juan, Puerto Rico to, uh, to St. Martin. Wow. So. You have almost been to Puerto Rico. I, I think... Crime in Italy. What the hell is going on here, Dave? Sorry, it's my computer. Um, it's going to keep doing that. Okay. Um, yeah, I almost have. And uh, airports don't really count. But they don't really count. But uh, flying—it's fascinating. Like, okay, now I remember when I was younger, Puerto Rico. Like, there was a lot of talk of it being the fifty-first state. Uh-huh. Why did that talk go away? Um, I don't know. I mean. It's still kind of. I mean, I mean, I, it's almost as if everyone's like, you know, what, we don't even need to make. Why go through all the hullabaloo? It's already there. You know, like we already like flying in. I saw that there was an outback, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think we need to go through the process. <laughs> I think we've already done it. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was an interesting vacation, um, and uh, but just uh, the kind of it's the kind of vacation where you're like, oh. I'm glad I get a, got in on a Friday so that now I can take a break. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you just got back from vacation. Isn't that supposed to be a break? And uh, no. no, for me it was not. So, no. but My uh, idea of vacation is just hanging around the house. Yeah. Because uh, like I'm going on a sort of a vacation this weekend. Right. I'm going down to, this coming weekend I'm going down to San Diego for Comic-Con. Now that's the kind but, of vacation I can get on board with. But that is, I mean, I, my schedule is so full. <laughs> uh, there's not going to be a lot of rest involved in Comic Con for me. Yeah, I'm. Uh, take a lot of pictures, David. So we finally have something to put on the photos portion of the I, website. I intend to. I, I, uh, our our digital camera was was busted. Busted. Or it looked like it was. Okay. But, uh, good old handyman David Bax here. <laughs> I took a took a paperclip to it, and it's all right. <laughs> you put those uh, those theater tech skills to work finally after <laughs> you know. Five years of laying dormant. Um, oh, longer than that. Oh well, no, you know, actually, I'm. Uh, let's not forget Cole's musical. Oh right, our roommate Cole did a musical. Yeah, uh, I was the stage manager. That's right. And I acquitted myself admirably. I, I think you sure did. Uh, Tyler was also involved. Yeah, I had to sing, which was kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, so that's that's uh, that's what I did uh, this week. What have you been up to lately, David? The, this past week? 
or or weekend um, or what or today whatever. I, well, this past week, I uh, as with many previous weeks, uh, recently I have been working myself ragged, right, and uh, not going to the movies, which is why I haven't posted yeah. any new blogs because yeah. uh, I don't have any fodder if I don't go to the movies. Now, what does the job count up to this week, David? It's still, I mean, it's one. One full-time job. One full-time job. One okay. part-time job. One part-time. And then one sort of freelance thing that okay. doesn't take a lot of time. Okay. But. So that's three. So that'll yeah. take up a lot of time. So listeners, just, you know, cut them some slack. Yeah. All right? I know I do. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I stayed in last night so I could catch up on the week's television. Okay. What'd uh, you watch? Um, well, you know what I the, the shows that I watched that I right. had to catch up on some daily shows. Uh, the new Anthony Bourdain, he goes to Columbia, which is okay. a fascinating episode. Um, watched the first episode of Reality Bites Back, which okay. was very funny. I yes, I saw, I actually saw that while I was on my vacation. And I enjoyed it a great deal. I watched My Boys with Jim. Is that Gaffigan. the one with Jim Gaffigan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's been on a while though. Like, what season are they into? I'm not sure because I don't watch it regularly. I think maybe season three just started. Okay, so it's been around a while, and and only now has it started to get any kind of uh, legitimate press, you know, um, which fascinates me because usually, unless a show is like a hit right away, uh, and has and is really exposed, like yeah. it's usually canceled. So I'm surprised yeah, it's mean, been around so long. TBS doesn't have to pull huge numbers <laughs> That's to keep true. the show on. That's true. Um, but, uh, but that, that show makes me like. Uh, it makes me like it's like an alternate universe version of nostalgia for Chicago. Okay, because it takes place in Chicago, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, this is what it would have been like to live in Chicago if I had had money when I lived there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's kind of an in- that is an interesting version of nostalgia. It's like <laughs> it's like oh man, but then you could you could have that kind of nostalgia for almost anywhere. But uh, <laughs> like you could watch Reversal of Fortune and be like, oh, man, if I had bi- bi- millions or billions of dollars, I could live this life. <laughs> That's great. And then you just feel uh, a strange form of nostalgia. But um, now you were actually telling me the other day that you've had to cut some some shows loose, uh, shows yeah. that you have previously watched and been uh, somewhat loyal to. You've now said, no, thank you. It's not for me. Well, I think I made mention of... Uh of cutting weeds loose. I think right. I mentioned that on the podcast. Right. Um, which I, I wasn't too broken up about, you know, even though I was, I was a defender of the show and I, I felt like I, I recognized all its faults, but still loved it. You yeah. know, uh, but season three just, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't stick with it after season three. Okay. The big one, the big decision for me, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not be watching this season of project runway. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you don't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I care because, like, that's the thing. I've not watched uh, a single second of Project Runway, and it's not a. It's just, I I don't know anything about fashion. I don't particularly care about fashion, um, but I have heard that as far as reality shows go, it's one of the better ones. And even in your description to me the other day of the huge changes they're making, I mean, if if it was a a, a reality show that I watch, like like I really only watch Survivor or something, uh-huh. but like if they went through a huge format change like that, like I'd probably be a little pissed off, really. Yeah. Well, they haven't gone through it. Yeah. That's th- this is season uh, this is season five that just started. Starting in season six, the next okay. season they're moving to Lifetime, and they're also moving part of the show to Los Angeles from New York. Okay. 
but the the big thing that turned me off about season four was uh, the product placement just got too egregious. Okay. Yeah. You know. Uh, Do you have any examples? Because I love I love stuff like that where it's really oh. just you're you're just like really yeah oh yeah how about your assignment this week is to go to the hershey store and make clothes <laughs> out of like hershey's and Kit Kat pillows and here's the thing they did their job because i didn't even know there was a hershey store so <laughs> you know or the 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 biggest one uh the biggest slap in the face to loyal fans last season was the uh designing costumes for the wwe's female wrestlers which is it's it's ridiculous it's on ridiculous several because, levels yeah first off because it's so just bald faced, you yeah. know. Uh, but also because Pressure Runway is supposed to be to a certain extent about high fashion. Yeah. Not costumes. Right, right. I mean, it's, I guess after a while, it's like, oh, let's see how cutting edge we can get. And I mean, costumes is when you're designing for something that's ridiculous and extreme, uh-huh. like, you know, wrestling and that kind of thing, then that enables you to do that. But uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm 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 bummed out for you, David, because I know that you're. There's a lot of people I know that love that show, and uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of fashion stuff. Uh, fashion stuff. Good lord, listen to me. I sound like an idiot, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sure L.A. has a huge fashion world. But it's you know, when I think of like high fashion, I do think of New York. Yeah, and so I, I can't imagine it could be. It could possibly be the same type of show. Yeah. So. Uh. Plus, I don't know if I want to see Tim Gunn's pasty ass walking around the <laughs> sun-drenched streets of Los Angeles. Um, anyway, the other thing I did this weekend, okay, uh, and uh, don't worry, uh, listeners, there will be no spoilers, uh, okay. but I saw The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. I, I have not gotten a chance to see it. Sorry, everybody. Oh, you have plenty of excuses. You were on vacation. And yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Better uh, than Batman I, Begins? Yeah. Okay. I really don't know what else to say about it. That you know, I mean, I, I could, I know what I could talk for hours about it. But <laughs> right, I, with, right. I mean, for people who haven't seen it, there's nothing. I, I can't really talk about it except for that. Yeah. It's just really, really great. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's something that you know. It's, it's a long movie. Yeah. And normally, when I say when someone says that you can, that it seems as long as it is, mm-hmm. it's usually a bad thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in this movie, it isn't like it. You, it feels like it's two and a half hours long because yeah. the, the the story. I mean, there's a through line, but it come it, it's sort of episodic in, okay. in the telling. Uh, but it's fun in that. So it, yeah, I yeah I felt all two and a half hours, but I enjoyed it, and it I I could have watched to watch that story go on for two and a half more hours. Yeah, I uh, I I had heard actually that it was somewhat episodic, and that that actually I look forward to the idea of that. The yeah. idea that it's not that like. That you're not just foiling one of Joker's schemes. Like, if you foil one, there's another one right, you know, coming right at you, you know? Yeah. And then, like, maybe you'll get a small break, and then here comes another one. I like the yeah. idea that it, there are, you know, it kind of captures the nature of the comic book where Joker just keeps coming back and yeah. he's got something new now. Because, and there's a clear point at about the hour and a half mark, I'm guessing, I wasn't you know, looking at my watch or anything, mm-hmm. where the movie could have ended and they could have this, they could have just made a sequel for the for the rest of the, right. you know, made the rest of the movie be the third uh, chapter. And I'm, I'm glad that it just kept going because that's what I wanted. I just wanted to yeah. see more. It, it felt like when you, like, 
you know, finish a disc of Lost episodes and like, oh, thank God I've got the next one. Like, exactly. That's what it felt like. Well, I mean, maybe the mentality is like, you know, we're not going to make another another one of these for like two or three years. We might as well give them as much as we can right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really want to see it. I've been wanting to see it, you know, really ever since the ending of... Batman Begins because it was handled so well uh-huh. that I was so intri- that I was incredibly intrigued um, to see like what oh man if this is so good what are they going to do with the Joker yeah and David do you remember there was a time when you and I were worried about Heath Ledger as the Joker yeah and uh, you know there was the time when and it wasn't just us a lot of people were like they saw that first I for myself. You know, you see that first still of him, which was like a straight-on shot, and you see the scarring and all that. You don't even see his green hair, and you're just like, oh, this is not the Joker I know. Uh Um, But now, I mean, you – and that's the thing. I haven't seen the movie, but, like, you read all the reviews, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, what what I think – when I look back at what I I felt about that when I first saw the stills of the Joker, I'm kicking myself for not – trusting christopher nolan more right because that's what it was i i have a uh often a knee-jerk, re- knee-jerk reaction against when uh superhero stories are tried to uh, when they tr- they try to tell them in a gritty and realistic fashion right because, uh, my thinking is it's a comic book it's a superhero it yeah. doesn't need to be super realistic you know yeah. like that's why you know spider-man and spider-man 2 are, are great because yeah. they they walk that line very well um but and, and that's of course uh, you know, you've seen Batman Begins, of course. You know that's that's what this does. It's very yeah. set in a, a relatable uh, world with realistic laws of physics and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, and it works. It doesn't feel like they're trying too hard to. Uh, like I guess what, what my often often my reaction is uh, is that they don't trust the material, yeah, as it exists. That they're trying right. to to inject it with some more like gravitas by making it set in a realistic world right uh and that uh christopher nolan does he that's what he does but he succeeds so well mm-hmm. Be, and partially because batman as a character uh resonates so well with with our times yeah um yeah and that's actually another thing that i've read is like some clear parallels between uh you know how batman deals with things and how the u.s deals with things yeah. and um yeah i uh Someday I want to do an episode, I was thinking about this uh, the other day, someday I want to do an episode on, like, the best, not the best working directors, because, you know, Scorsese's still working, uh-huh. you know, but, like, the best directors who've, like, come about, like, in the last, I don't know, eight years, ten years uh-huh. or so, and because, you know... Like the new school. the new Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or Brad mm-hmm. Bird or, you know, or definitely Chris Nolan. I mean, he's just... He's. I don't think he's made a movie that I that I haven't liked. Um, like even following, which I thought was good, not great, still very memorable, and you know, it's you can't shake it. It's a mm-hmm. very solid movie, and I liked. I like the new Insomnia more than the old Insomnia. I'm very. I was very unpopular uh, in film school for that reason, <laughs> uh, among very, uh, many others. I never saw the the original. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but uh, like any good remake, uh, the new one actually adds something to it as opposed to just tries to exploit the existing story um but yeah so so there's more about the dark knight there's a actually one big issue that i want to talk about well we'll, okay. we'll wait until you 
have seen it. Okay. All right. So I will I will definitely see it uh, this week, and then we will talk right. about it next week. The only other thing I want to mention is that I saw the Terminator Salvation teaser. Okay. Uh, I'd seen it online, but it's on on the Dark Knight. Uh, and oh no, I I mean, there's many reasons why it doesn't look good. You know, yeah. Mick G being you yeah know, reasons one, two, three, and four. Uh, <laughs> But also More reasons like, than letters in his name, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> also, it feels like I don't want Christian Bale to dilute his product. You okay. Know what I mean? All right, you'll have to. Okay, give me. Tell me what you mean. It's it's great that an actor of his abilities yeah. and of his respect takes on a role like Batman, a superhero. Role, okay, you know? I gotcha. I gotcha. But he doesn't need to keep being in these type of movies right. like how about another machinist you know yeah or another rescued on you right know? and which right. he's obviously he's still doing these yeah but i don't want him to abandon now what's what's your take on of his presence in like either the prestige or 310 to yuma would you say that's kind of in the middle i guess it's in the middle yeah but i mean the uh and, and again i i obviously haven't read the script for terminator salvation maybe it's a great script but those mm-hmm. are are both movies where I mean, he's. It, they may be mainstream movies, but he's got a really great character to play. Yeah, yeah. You kind of just want to be like, all right, okay. Every every great actor, you get one shot at like a franchise or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, all right, Daniel Craig, you can be James Bond, but nobody else. All right, <laughs> you can you can be him, and then go and do some really yeah. great movies on Green the Lantern is off limits for you now. Exactly, exactly. So leave that to somebody else who uh, nobody expected to be. Uh, you know. Uh, financially viable yeah but um i do like the idea though much like they did with the, with the aliens movies with a mm-hmm. different director each time i like that there's a different john connor <laughs> in every terminator movie gosh there really is yeah. yeah it's uh that's almost that might be almost a little frustrating to me where it's just like you know nick Stahl's a good actor well yeah i, I guess i like that they did it because if it had been Nick Stahl again, I would have felt really bad for Edward Furlong. But now, it's, now both of them can be like, oh, this is the thing they're doing. This, right. isn't, this isn't reflecting on us. They're just changing John Connor. Right. And then the kid from Heroes, you know, uh, and he was on the Sarah, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Oh, which I never watched. Can just be like, oh, well, I guess I'm a little young. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Edward Furlong is definitely, I still feel bad for him. But not as bad as I would for me if he was playing John Connor. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, so yes, next week I will have seen Dark Knight. By then, we will talk more about the movie and about your uh, your your issues, uh, which are not with the movie, but right, uh, just with, in general with society in general. <laughs> Good lord! Um, <laughs> all right, so, all right. So let's get to it. Um, let's 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 get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, it's episode seventy. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's an artist profile. We do them every t- every ten episodes. That's right. Uh, we've had plenty of time to do our homework, and still kind of didn't. Definitely come up a little short, <laughs> um, but that's all right. I got three jobs. Exactly, he's got three jobs. I have no excuse, <laughs> um, but that's all right. That's all right. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. Um, and then, of course, uh, loyal listeners will remember that when we uh, talked about our favorite actors, uh-huh. uh, male actors. Uh, my number five, we only said the name and moved on. And that's because uh, we're profiling him today. His name is Frederick March. And uh, he is an actor who has, you know, it's, I tend to get frustrated when, like, uh, a solid actor, actress, or director, or screenwriter, just 
who is every bit as good as like the ones you remember just somehow gets forgotten. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but just like you know, Humphrey Bogart, Jimmy Stewart, uh Cary Grant, I mean all of them very good actors. Frederick March in my view just as good if not better than some of them. Uh but for you know, winner of two Academy Awards in his life has played some very iconic roles mm-hmm. and yet somehow just when people talk about the great actors of that age, he never gets men- uh, mentioned. Yeah. In that way, I almost feel like he's kind of the Robert Duvall of his time. Um, because in the midst of, like, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, no one has any room for old uh, Robert Duvall. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> but that's the thing is, you know, um, and I'm not sure where I first uh, – I think probably the first movie of his that I saw – was uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because it's a story I've always loved. and um, It's not the first of his that I saw, but chronologically it's the first, so let's start with oh, okay. it. Oh, good. okay. That, that's a good call, because that's the, s- the same deal for me. Um, now, I, I, w- I want to talk for a second about okay. it, to interrupt you. Um, you know, we were just talking about su- superhero movies, which yeah. are a big thing right now. Yeah. And, of course, there are a lot of shitty ones. Uh, but there are a lot of really great superhero movies, really great stories being told in the superhero genre. Right. Right? Uh, when I watched Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. it was uh, around the same time that I first watched uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. And I realized that in in the 30s, that sort of the same thing was happening. Oh, with yeah. these monster movies mm-hmm. um, that have since gone on to be remembered essentially as just monster movies. Right. Uh, but are really fantastic movies. These yeah. two are, for me, chief among them. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Frankenstein are fantastic films. Yeah. I, of those, I do like... Uh, I love Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Both of them are great. Um, I'm a big fan of The Invisible Man. Um, and then, of course, there are elements of uh, Dracula that are really good. Wolfman, uh, wonderful makeup and uh, some pretty uh, pretty solid performance by Lon Chaney. But the movie itself, only so-so. Are you looking then, forward to the... Uh Benicio del Toro, Wolfman. Yes, I think there's going to be some no. stuff at Comic Con. I might, I might be able to report back. Okay, if I can uh, make please it to a do. Panel or something. Because I'm fascinated by the notion that uh, that one of the most glaring uh, problems with the original Wolfman, which is uh, Lon Chaney, uh, very large man, uh, easily what six two, six three. His father, uh, Claude Rains, guy <laughs> who comes in probably about what five six. Yeah, and he's British. Lon Chaney couldn't be more American, and. Uh, and in keeping with that, Benicio del Toro is the Wolfman. His father, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Makes perfect sense. But um, anyway, so uh, but with Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, I had always, I, I think I had seen it's. I I judged the movie by its cover because Mister Hyde looks really frightening there. Uh-huh. Like I think I think I actually I'd seen the version with Spencer Tracy first. Oh, I've never seen it. And I thought oh, that was that was pretty good. And then I had. Then I was like, well, there, I had heard that there's an earlier one for which uh, the actor won an Oscar, which never happens with a horror performance. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, I better watch that. And then, like, and I, on the cover, it's just like, Mr. Hyde looks hideous. Like, uh-huh. he looks very animalistic, you know, more so than in a lot of uh, the other versions, except, of course, uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But... Uh, but yeah, and as far as the performance itself, it's interesting. Uh, Frederick March is a guy who uh, he kind of goes the other. He kind of goes his his style of acting kind of goes the opposite of what a lot of actors do. Like some actors 
will start off when they're younger they'll start off as kind of like kind of method type um or just kind of really wanting to play things uh very specific really trying to show a great amount of of intensity Uh and then the older they'll get the more broad they'll become i'd say somebody like jack nicholson who's an actor that i love but like if you look at him in chinatown i mean he's doing He's really underplaying things in like right. five easy pieces. You look at or him the, now. The aforementioned Anthony Hopkins is another. Oh, absolutely example. You know, and uh, perhaps yeah, I mean you could say with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. You know, uh, Frederick March. I'd say the opposite. He started out as playing somewhat broad. I mean, he's great in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, uh-huh. but those two performances are very broad. And I, I almost feel like the reason he does that is because he realizes that okay. I need to play up how different these guys are from each other. So, of course, I need to play Dr. Jekyll as not just a normal guy. He has to be a freaking saint, you know, uh-huh. and just and he plays him up as just this very, you could almost say boring, but just this very pure intellectual guy. And then uh, all and that really plays up the the hedonistic evil of Mr. Hyde, you know, yeah. so it's almost like, but it works thematically. It works thematically. Absolutely. Um, and you know, and so I, I'm not faulting him for that at all, but it's the kind of thing where it's like a lot of my favorite performances of his come later on in his career. Um, but, but I will say this, that his Mr. Hyde is really, I mean, it's what you think of when you read that story. I mean, yeah. just a guy where it's like, this guy's f- frightening. I mean, this guy yeah. could really do anything. Um, yeah, he doesn't have. He, there's not a lot of control there, right? That yeah, that, and that's I mean, what that's what's scary. I mean, he plays him almost. I mean, it. He does a lot of uh, like little ticks and stuff that makes him seem very animalistic, and it and they, to his credit, they work. They really uh, freaked me out when I was younger. But um, but anyway, okay. So that's and he won his first Oscar for that. Um, and then um, so what's the next thing? In his filmography that you have seen, David, oh, uh, you, you've got you've got something before. You, were you going to talk about Death Takes a Holiday? Um, I'll talk about it briefly um, because I haven't seen it in years, and okay. and his performance is very good. But in, there's, uh, I have not seen it at all. I've okay. seen Meet Joe Black. Which okay. ca- is he? Is he the Brad Pitt character? Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, and he does a good job. There's nothing wrong with his performance at all. He does what the character requires him to do. Unfortunately, the character, he as he learns, like it's just, you know, it's it's a character who is a fish out of water, and he's learning about his new environment. It's kind of you could say, kind of a bland type of character mm-hmm. because he's a blank canvas. You know what I mean? And Frederick March uh, plays that. You know, and does a very good job with it and just plays him with this very odd sense of detachment, you know, where he really just seems to be, even when he's talking to somebody, I mean, he always seems to be kind of standing outside the conversation, really watching, listening to what they're saying, but also watching how they're moving and and just trying to assimilate that into how he's going to move and how he's going to talk. And it's it's a good performance, but I'd say not necessarily one of his best because the very nature of that character doesn't allow him to do a whole lot. Right. Um, so that's, that's that. Uh, the next one on my list, however, uh, is his performance of uh, Jean Valjean in uh, Les Miserables, which is, uh, I just saw that a few days ago. And uh, it's him as Jean Valjean, and of course it's Charles Lawton 
as Inspector Javert. Awesome. With cinematography by Greg Toland. Uh, wonderful film. I mean, it, it just sounds amazing. And it's it, who you plays know, the Claire Danes role? <laughs> <laughs> That's how unsophisticated I am that I think of it as the Claire Danes role. <laughs> oh, well done. Uh, honestly, I don't remember. Um, but uh, I remember Claire Danes though. Um, yeah, but Catterwalling uh, throughout that movie. <laughs> I remember I reviewed that movie for my uh, high school paper. Really. Uh, and Were you I, kind to Claire Danes? No, I. In <laughs> fact, I called her uh, a stain on the fabric of the film. But, um, but anyway, uh, and that's and it's just a great movie in general. Charles Lawton, of course, does great work. Uh, someday we'll profile him because I find him to be absolutely fascinating as an actor. But, um, and and honestly, as much as I like Liam Neeson. Uh, as Jean Valjean, I never viewed that character as real. I, I always felt like, oh, Les Misérables, starring Inspector Javert, right? Yeah, that's always how Jeffrey I Rush it. is definitely the centerpiece of absolutely, it. and because it's a, it's a it's an okay movie, yeah, I think, but he's great in it. He is great, and and Liam Neeson is is uh, the the whole cast is great, except of course for Claire Danes, right. uh, Stain, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but I always viewed, I mean, just. From an actory standpoint, there's more in, in Inspector Javert, and I never, I never thought there was much going on with Jean Valjean until I saw Frederick March play him, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm like, oh right, th- he's the star of this thing. Like he's he's the main character here because he just he plays so many interesting beats that I previously didn't know existed. Most notably, when he gets out of prison. And he is, you know, and he can't get a job. He can't find a place to stay. I mean, he's viewed as uh, this vagrant, this bum, this crazy person. Um, now, of course, when Liam Neeson when, when Liam Neeson plays him, it's it's Liam Neeson with a beard, you know. Uh-huh. And and I, I I like Liam Neeson as an actor, but just he doesn't play up the fact that this guy has spent a long time having his humanity stripped away from him. And by the time he gets out, he is what people think he is. You know, and Frederick March plays him that way. He plays him as a guy who is a little frightening. If you saw him on the street, you know, the only the comparison I would make is Denzel Washington in Manchurian Candidate. Right. Where by the when if you were to see him only there, you'd be like, oh, ugh, no, thank you. I don't want to talk (laughs) to this person. And in fact, I'd prefer to have them arrested. And uh, and it's just a really it's interesting. It's it it only it's only about, you know, eight minutes of the film. But it's a strong eight minutes because you really have to get us. You've seen him before and you see him after as a real intellectual, uh, moral person. But for those eight minutes, you have to realize what he has become. Uh And he he does that perfectly. And from then on, he because before that, you see him as an innocent man who just he just wants. No, I just wanted bread. And then that happens, and then after that, you do see, I mean, you really feel like he has aged a great deal, and he has been through a lot, both physically and emotionally. And, uh, and I think it's also an interesting bit of casting by the director, and I, for life me, I don't remember who directed uh, this version of Les Miserables. Please look it up. Thank you. I can find um, but, Yeah, uh, we're back out in the living room. I know. Instead of the bedroom, which means I can use the internet. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, Richard Boleslavsky? Okay, you don't know who that is, but uh, <laughs> look him up, David. You keep talking. Okay, but... Uh, this this episode is your baby. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, 
But uh, now, of course, anybody familiar with the story of Les Miserables knows that at, at some point there is a character who is viewed, who everyone thinks is Jean Valjean. And he's just a kind of a simpleton who it's it's easy to demi- dismiss. And they and the real Jean Valjean could have put it on this guy, this unfortunate guy. And in the movie, this guy is played by Frederick March under uh-huh. heavy makeup and all that. But you still definitely know it's him. The kind of thing where it's like, oh, I can definitely see why people would think it was him. Um, he's, he's doing something different with his voice. And with his mannerisms. Uh-huh. So he's definitely playing a different character. But the makeup is close enough to how he did look when he just got out of prison. Full beard. Um, that, And just the fact of casting him as opposed to somebody who looked like him. It's clear that... I mean, it's, it's clear as day that it's like, okay, Valjean definitely sees, oh, this is who I could have been. Uh-huh. If, it not, if it wasn't for the kindness of other people. So when he shows his kindness... It's absolutely motivated, and I mean that's and that's a choice of everybody involved, of the makeup people, the director for casting him in that role, and his performance. Um, and then when he finally does announce who he is, of course in Les Misérables, uh, in Les Misérables, yes, this one has the same title as the one <laughs> with Liam Neeson. But uh, there's when, also a book. There's also a book, apparently a musical, um, <laughs> but. Uh, but when Liam Neeson does it, he makes a big announcement. I am the one you want. I am Jean Valjean. When Frederick March does it, he almost throws it away. He almost says it as if it were a foregone conclusion that everybody knew. He's, yeah. like, he's like, no, 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 I'm Jean Valjean. And this man, like, he's trying to just say, like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, look, just, you're fo- like, let's focus on this guy and, and who he's not. I'm who you're looking for. Let's get past that. And, but he's not doing it as a way to try to avoid, you know. He's doing it as just like... It's he's like, going to slip it in there. Right. It's just like... <laughs> um, no, but then... And just... Uh, he's, like, he's like, okay, this... I, we all need to accept this because this... So that we can take care of this man and make sure that he, nothing happens to him. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just a really interesting moment and one that I didn't think would be possible... From that moment, like that moment requires a big announcement, or so I thought. The way he plays it is not what I would have thought was possible to do, and it's just a, I don't know. It's just it's a wonderful film in general, and okay. he and he's really great at it. Moving on, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Now, uh, for the first and only time this episode, we get to talk about a movie that I have seen that you have not seen, which is A Star Is Born. A Star Is Born. Um, now I had previously seen the <laughs> Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson version of this uh, film. Okay. Uh, which is pretty awesome in how... I've not seen any version of this film. It's, so. I mean, it's so much of its time, you know? Okay. It, like, 70, 77 or whenever it came yeah. out. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, this is, of course, I'm still talking about the 70s version. Yeah. It's terrible but fun to watch because it's such a time capsule. Uh, this movie, on the other hand, is actually fairly awesome. Um, no, I don't even know the story of A Star is Born. Oh, okay. Here's the story. Okay. Uh, there's a guy. He's famous. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know who this person is. Just walked in, in summarizing A Star is Born. <laughs> uh, in, in this version, the 1937, uh, there's, yeah, 1937 version, mm-hmm. uh, Frederick March plays Norman Maine. He's a famous actor. Okay. Then there's a woman. Uh, in the 70s version, Chris Christopherson is a famous singer. Okay. This is the last mention I'm going to make of the 1970s version. Please do. Version. <laughs> um, or don't. So, uh... 
uh, he's famous. Then there's a, a woman who wants to get into uh, the same business, uh, is discovered by him. Okay. Uh, and then eventually becomes way more famous than he is, and he becomes sort of a has-been. Oh, okay. Um, and then, I don't know, it stuff happens. I don't want to give you spoilers, okay, but stuff enough. happens. That's, that's fine, yes, yes. Um, and uh, the movie starts off kind of broad. Okay. Um, and uh, especially in like the musical cues and something good stuff, very, very like 1930s Hollywood, right. you know? Uh, but as it gets deeper into the story, the movie becomes weirdly, it's like the movie grows up as you're watching it. It becomes yeah. more nuanced and, and, uh, and of course, Norman, Norman, Norman Maine is the character's name, Frederick March. I already said that. Uh, he, uh, his performance becomes more nuanced because, of course, there's more to him. Yeah. Where, at the beginning, when he's flying high, he's you know the biggest star in Hollywood. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. Yeah. He's actually very very funny in, in the in the role, and um, uh, he's uh, when he's famous, he's an alcoholic in a fun way. You okay. Know? Yeah. He's like trying to he's trying to avoid like the woman he's dating, and so he like hides. That's how he meets. <laughs> his, she's she. Uh, the, our heroine is like catering a party and then he goes to hide in the kitchen to get away from the girl he's dating and, okay. and uh, ends up, in, <laughs> you know, like uh, one, one scene where he just wants to, let's get out of here. And she's like, I have to put away the dishes and he just starts breaking the dishes. That's very funny. Um, so, uh, and then he becomes, yeah, he becomes a has been, uh, he becomes sort of a joke, a punchline, yeah. you know, because he's known mostly for his, uh, uh, for his alcoholism at that, uh, you okay. know, he's, he, his, his roles have faded away and he's known as being a drunk who used to be famous, hmm. you know, uh, and who makes a fool of himself at Hollywood parties. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, she is like the biggest thing ever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I you know, I, I don't want to go anything anywhere further into the story because, uh, it's a really good story. Okay. Um, but he's fantastic and, uh, I don't. I, I don't really know from our, you know, twenty first century viewpoint. I don't know how big a star Frederick March was in nineteen thirty four. I don't know how he was viewed right. by the public, but he certainly would have had some insight into this into this world. Oh you yeah, know? and it's interesting that uh, it's like it's like the movie plays a trick on you, uh, and it, you know all the people involved in it. In that, at first, it is this very uh, glossed over sort of like. Uh, magazine-y version of what Hollywood would be like, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's sort of, it's claws come out. The movie's claws come out a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it starts to, uh, uh, to, to pick away at, at all the, uh, the, the corruption and the underhanded dealings and the yeah. deception that goes on in, in this horrid, horrid industry. Hmm. <laughs> that you and I so badly want to be a part of, apparently. Yeah. Um, that last part was not, uh, that was my own commentary based on my personal experiences. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Hollywood is a horrible place. Yeah, that's. it sounds interesting because it, it really, uh, I mean, it is a very standard thing that what you are loved for, which it sounds like in this guy, he's kind of a screwball, likes to drink. Yeah. You know, basically, uh, William, William Powell? You think of William Wallace? No. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> he was a scamp. He was. Uh, well, no, kind of was. Is it William Powell yeah. from uh, Going the to Thin Man? A fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is it? Uh, it's William Powell from the Thin Man, right? Yes, it is. Okay, because Dick Powell is a different guy. Okay, um, but like you know, just uh, Nick Charles, like ah, uh, top of the world. 
but literally for the same thing for literally the same thing they turn on him yeah it's just like oh he's a lovable scamp who likes to drink and then a few years later oh he's a lovable scamp who likes to drink no no it's the same words you're using the same words <laughs> it's just like oh connotation different but um yeah it also stars i can't remember the guy's name he has an awesome name and an aw- he's a little guy with an awesome voice he was he's like um uh, Gary Cooper's like press guy in Mr. Deeds uh, goes to town. Ah, oh, shoot! I love that guy. Yeah, uh, I couldn't tell you his name though. Anyway, he's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it sounds it sounds fascinating because I, I find that uh, Frederick March is he's good at kind of not necessarily a dual role. I mean, he certainly is that in Jekyll and Hyde, but like you know, in Les Rob. Not only is he, I mean, he's required to play two roles technically, but the character of Jean Valjean is like several different characters in the film. And it sounds like much the same thing with um, A Star is Born, where he starts off not only as a different type of character, but in a completely different type of movie. And then he, and then like the genre of the film flips and his performance flips as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there are some actors who just for some reason just are good at portraying two seemingly completely different things within one character. There's um, uh I want to say it was Premier Movie ma- Premier Magazine or something did a a list um a while ago of like the 100 greatest lines you know okay. in movies and the final line of A Star Is Born was was on the list. Okay, what what is that line? Out of context it wouldn't make any sense. It would just be <laughs> Uh, it basically it says, "Hello, I'm Mrs. Norman Maine." That's well, I have to assume. <laughs> I think I can piece it together. Uh, do, sh- do they get married? <laughs> yeah, okay, right. no, they get married pretty early on. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. okay, um, okay. Yes, okay. Out of context, uh, I was able to put that part together. Yeah, but not that's... the uh, context of the actual line. Um, I will now move on to uh, a movie called Nothing Sacred, which. I didn't want to mention, but I will now because I feel I should. We're doing a profile. Frederick March, not that good. Really? In this movie, uh, Nothing Sacred. It's not that he's bad. It's that his performance belongs in a different film. Hmm. Uh, it sounds to me like he's good at the screwball thing. Uh-huh. But in Nothing Sacred, it's basically this girl who he plays a, a reporter um, who is uh, doing a series of stories about uh, these girls, uh, this one girl who uh, is, like, dying of uh, some kind of poisoning. But, uh, uh, you know what? Rather than actual, actually try and uh, say the name of the poisoning she got, like some kind of radiation poisoning, oh, okay. um, I'm going to avoid that because I'll just make a fool of myself. Um, it was radiation poisoning. Radi- but it was it a specific okay. thing. Um no one put belladonna in her tea. No, no. <laughs> exactly. Um but uh did you know Okay. Uh long long time ago women used to put belladonna uh which is a type of poison. Yeah. Uh in very small doses it would have a physical reaction that would cause the pupils to dilate and women would uh take small doses of belladonna because uh dilated pupils was pretty. I hate everything about humanity now. <laughs> like, it's just, like, just, like, 
there, Teresa there read was... an awesome book on poisons like last year, and uh, <sighs> of course, she so did. I kn- <laughs> I know some cool stuff. I'm just fa- just. There, there was no good old days. There never was any good old days <laughs> because just when you think you find out, it's like, oh, that sounds like a nice time. Yeah, uh, women drank poison so they c- could uh, dilate their pupils because it was more attractive. <laughs> it's like, oh, that sounds horrifying. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, so, um, but yeah, in in nothing sacred, his character is required after a certain point to feel regret about the fact that he is exploiting this girl. Uh, to sell papers. Um, he has not yet discovered that she is faking it, uh, but whatever. He He's required to feel bad. Did and you just give away a big spoiler? No. You find out... Uh, you know it, and he doesn't. Oh, okay. Um, you find out pretty much immediately. Um, but it, it's it's weird to see, because he overplays the guilt. He overplays the regret. He plays it as if he was in something like Les Miserables. And, you know, it, just, it doesn't seem to fit because it's a screwball comedy. And he is playing heavy drama. And there is a way to play regret and feeling bad without turning it into freaking Shakespeare. And uh, he just doesn't seem to get a handle on it. And it was, it was weird to see because I think he's a great actor who can play almost anything. Just didn't really seem to be into the film. And admittedly, the film's not that good. So okay. that's all right. But uh, I felt it was worth mentioning so that it was so that I could let everyone know I have a clear-eyed view of who he was. Moving on. Moving it's, on. It's getting late. Yeah. Okay, so the next one on my list is The Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, I have seen it, but you're still going to have to carry the ball here because I have not seen it in almost ten years. Probably ten years? Probably, well, maybe probably seven or eight years. Oh, my gosh. About it. All right. I haven't seen it in like uh, two hours. Um, <laughs> but you had seen it before watching it. I'd today. seen it before, yes, yes. In fact, I think I first saw it on your recommendation. Oh, okay. Uh, quite possibly, yes. Um, yeah, Best Years of Our Lives is one of my favorite movies ever. And uh, upon watching it now, uh, it will absolutely remain so because it's just... It's it's astounding. I mean, it's... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to talk about that much about the movie, but but I'll basically just tell you it's about... World War II veterans coming home and trying to readjust. And uh, you see, ba- it basically, there's three veterans. One of them is has a problem with his wife. One of them has now has hooks for hands and has to deal with that. And then the other seemingly has a really nice life. And that that's Frederick March. He's, ri- you know, he has a lot of money. He gets his old job back. In fact, he gets promoted uh, immediately. Uh, and he just, you know, it seems that he's fine, that he's going to turn out fine. But you realize pretty quick, this man is a, is an alcoholic. I mean, like you realize, like you don't, it's the kind of thing where you realize he's been playing it the whole time, but probably about 15, 20 minutes in, uh, like the first night he's back, he goes on a huge bender with his wife and daughter. Um, Uh And oh, it's all coming back. Yeah. You know what? It so, has been... I saw it before I even knew you, now that okay, I think about okay. it. Um, but, like, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, wow, this guy really drinks. Uh, but then you re- but then you actually think back on him, and you realize, oh, this is not, like, a new thing. It's not like, oh, all right, it's a celebratory bender. It's a, oh, an excuse for a bender, you know? Yeah. Um, because just the way... Because he's got a very... He has very deep set 
uh, striking eyes in general. And they do some very subtle makeup. And just the way he moves and the way he walks, you realize he's, like, even when he's not drinking, he's probably getting over being drunk. Uh And that's how he deals with the war. Like, by just numbing his senses. uh, You know, it's fun while it's happening. But you get the impression that's like, even if it wasn't fun, this is what he has to do yeah. to get to get through it. And the reason I remember that I, now when I saw it is I remember I was in high school because I remember talking with my grandma about this movie. Okay, I saw it. Uh, and one thing that she pointed out to me that I didn't really think about until I noticed the release date is how soon after World War Two this it's movie like came out. Like two years. Yeah, it, this stuff was this stuff was going on. Yeah, you know, th- this type of stuff was going on, and it. it I think. I think I remember my grandma saying this movie kind of hit a nerve, especially I mean, my her husband, my grandpa, who was yeah. had already was already dead at that time, you know. But he had been, you know, he had been in the war, and and uh, and I, I don't know. I had fun talking with my grandma about movies. <laughs> it yeah. only ha- it happens very rarely that my grandma she loves movies that came out like within like this certain <laughs> three year span. Yeah. So I can talk to her about best years of our lives, Singing in the Rain, and Leave Her to Heaven, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. What's it called? Leave her to heaven. Leave with, her to uh, heaven. With uh, I can't remember her name now, but uh, it's a it's a pretty it's kind of a twisted movie. Hmm. I've actually never heard of it until now, so I'm excited to watch it. Oh, you should watch this. Um, oh, but uh, name. Thank God for the internet. I know. Please, can you believe people actually existed before the internet? We did, in fact. But anyway, really we thought we could pretend to be movie experts on a podcast and we don't, <laughs> we don't know, know what we're talking about. Freaking thing. Um, but there is one, there's, there is one, there's like several moments that Frederick March has in best years of our lives where he just, and most notable, I watched it with my wife today and she hadn't, uh, she hadn't seen it and she blurted out laughing at some point where he drunkenly says something that actually it's a good line and he delivers it perfectly. And it's not awkward at all where he inter- he's on the bender. He introduces his wife and daughter to the guy who now has hook for, uh, hooks for hands. And he goes, all right, now, before we get started, I feel I should let you know. Homer here uh, lost his hands. He has hooks instead. He's fine with it, so we should be too. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's funny, but it's just like, wow, he's just, you know, his character of all of them is the most outspoken about where he is, where veterans are emotionally like at one point he has to give a speech at this uh, celebratory banquet uh in his honor uh and by this time he uh has grown very cynical about the bank that he works at because he's been put in charge of pretty much denying uh veterans loans yeah. and uh and so his boss, of course, played by Ray Collins, boss Jim Geddes from Citizen Kane. You know, he's up to no good once he shows up in a film. But uh, And the speech he gives is really amazing because he just because he's clearly drunk, but that doesn't stop him from saying the truth. And he might not be saying it otherwise. And it's a funny it's both funny. It's heart wrenching. And you just know that this guy is like seconds away from crying. And it's a, it's a wonderful it, that moment i'm convinced is the moment that got him uh his second oscar uh which was right. lead actor for best years of our lives and if you haven't seen it you owe it to yourself to see it also gene tierney was yep. in leave her to heaven okay and lionel stander is the guy who was in a star is born okay and who played corny Cobb in mr deeds goes to town 
<laughs> Lionel Stander, Corny Cobb. Who's the actor? Who's the character? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, all right, so let's uh, let's move on. What's the next thing on uh, that you've seen? Is it? It's probably the next thing I've seen. Which is what now? Desperate Hours. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. So, uh, well, you've seen it, and I know you're a big fan of it. So I'll let I've been talking for a while, so I'll, I'll let you. Well, uh, uh, no, don't do that to me. Oh, all right. <laughs> So yeah, no, we've talked about this movie on the show before. We I have. Uh, I can't remember what episode. Suburbs. It was. Talking about the suburbs. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. Well, it's a it's a sort of a uh, it's a, it's a home invasion movie. Yeah. Um. But I wouldn't call it a thriller. No, I'd say ma- drama suspense is probably yeah. as much as I as far as I'd go. Um. But I mean. Uh, you you should really talk more about Frederick March because okay. I I think I I on the suburbs uh, suburbs episode I talked about the you know the uh the themes and you know the idea of uh urban grittiness sort right. of showing up in the suburbs and right. scaring everybody <laughs> in, indeed and um and yeah this is uh i'd say best years of our lives is or around that time is when uh frederick march really started to play realism um uh-huh. And uh, it's worth noting that he also, at some point, played Willie Loman in uh, uh, Death of a Salesman, which is not available on DVD. Good Lord, I would love to see that performance. Yeah. Um, he was nominated for it, and it's not available. And so somebody uh, freaking get on that, because I imagine it's uh, astounding. But uh, in The Desperate Hours, he plays just a suburban dad, you know? Uh, and what's more is just... You really get, he's a good he he's good at taking characters that you think would be fairly simple, um, like Jean Valjean and now like the father in uh, the Desperate Hours, um, and he show and he really it would have been easy to play his character as just naive and just completely unaware that bad things are uh, can happen to him or mm-hmm. other people, um, but he doesn't. He plays him as a pragmatic guy who who you could view for a while as somewhat cowardly. Like, he doesn't he doesn't want to try anything until he feels he has no choice. And, um, and that's, you know, I mean, there's not a lot else to talk about with his performance except what he chooses not to do. He chooses not to go broad with it. He chooses to turn this guy into somebody you feel like you could know. You know, yeah. just a like a friend's dad or something like that. Um, just a, just a certainly upper class. Um, but, uh, and not necessarily above like a kind of a petty sort of revenge. Um, because there's a moment where he is kind of rubbing it. uh, Spoilers. Okay. So Humphrey Bogart, there's three guys. There's Humphrey Bogart, uh, his character's younger brother that he feels kind of protective of uh-huh. and it, and then a third guy and at some point the younger brother dies and frederick march really lays it lays into him and says like yeah he's dead and it's and you couldn't help him you could you didn't protect him you know like he's bringing his kind of suburban morality and i'd say realism into like hey you know what you it's like if you were so protective of him why are you here? Like, why is he here with you? Like, yeah. and just, and it's, you know, and that part could seem ham-fisted, but it doesn't. And it, but it doesn't seem too moralistic either. 
Like, it does seem like he's saying it as a lecture, but he's also saying it because he knows it hurts. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, we've left almost 10 years from best years of our right. lives to desperate hours. And I think well, you said at the beginning that, uh, you know, how it's a shame that he's not remembered. It, it's right. a real shame because this is not only 10 years from best years of our lives, this is almost 20 years from the from Jean Valjean or the oh, yeah. dashing Norman Norman Maine in, in A Star is Born. And here he is still acting up a storm and, uh, and un- unlike Norman Maine, yeah, uh, aging as an actor and playing, oh, yeah. playing his age here. He's yeah. not, you know, he's not. He wasn't some movie star, you know, trying to hold on to right. whatever uh, appeal he had in the in the mid thirties. You know, he was a really great journeyman actor. Yeah, it, you know, and it's it, it makes it, it makes it even more astounding that he's not as remembered as he is. The, you know, that's actually the perfect way to describe him is a, a journeyman actor. Like he didn't inf- he didn't like. You know, I mean, as much as I love Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart, and I do love him, he's always he's always a version of Humphrey Bogart. He has a very definite way of speaking that he couldn't hide uh-huh. because he just had a he had a speech impediment and all that. And so, like, but like, you know, you with Frederick March, like, he was he's he's like a Gene, you know, he's like a Gene Hackman or a Robert Duvall, where he will always do he will always bring the role to him as opposed to impose himself on the role. Um, and uh you know maybe that's the reason that he's that he's not remembered is because you know he's somebody who could just become whatever the role yeah. required um so next on my list is the man in the gray flannel suit he has a supporting role uh as but desperate a, hours was the last one on my list it was the last one on your list okay well i'll uh i'll try and i'll try and keep it uh keep this fairly short man in the gray flannel suit Wonderful performance. Actually, it's kind of a version of his Desperate Hours performance. Okay. Um, it's just now it's supporting. So I'll just move on from there. There's not a lot for his character to yeah. do except seem very sage. He also played Philip of Macedonia in Alexander the Great. Yes, he did. Which I've always wanted to see even though I hear it's not very good. Yeah. Alexander the Great. Someday they're going to make a good movie about him. <laughs> yeah. Um, haven't yet. But, uh, yeah, he's played – I mean, he's played a lot of uh, – Let's see. You, do you have his uh, filmography pulled up there? Yeah. Like he, like he did a like uh, back in the early days of uh, television. Like they would have like a playhouse type thing, you uh-huh. know, where they would put on classic plays or classic stories. And uh, in something, they did a, a version of the Winslow Boy. Oh, and he played Arthur Winslow, who I'm only familiar with the David Mamet version with uh, Nigel. Hawthorne, uh, Hawthorne, yeah, where Nigel Hawthorne plays that part, and I'd be fascinated. You know, much like with Willie Loman, I'd be fascinated to see what uh, what he did with it. Um, and then he was also in a, a version of The Iceman Cometh, yeah. And uh, you know, just he he played you know some very solid roles, and it makes. I mean, it, I think he would. I think he was uh, started as a, a stage actor, and I think it absolutely shows. But uh, but all okay. So I'll move on to. I've, there's only two more movies on my list. Okay. Um, and they are. Some of his best performances, and uh, the first one is in uh, Inherit the Wind. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No. Have you Have you seen like the play, or have you read the play, or anything? No, I know what it's about. Okay. He has the thankless job of playing a part that nobody likes, uh-huh. uh, but not the kind of. He's the villain of the piece. I. This is one of my one of the hardest things for me to ever explain because I I have said the same thing about like Matt Damon and The Departed where uh-huh. there's the villains you love to hate and then there's the ones that you just like ugh 
I don't like that guy. And like in The Departed, for example, Jack Nicholson, villain you love to hate. Uh-huh. Matt Damon, the villain you're just like, Ugh, I want him to get shot. You know, <laughs> um, whereas and, and much in the same way, I mean, uh, you know, in uh, Inherit the Wind, there's uh, oh, shoot. Now I don't. There's the Clarence Darrow surrogate whose name uh, Drummond, I believe, is the character's name. And then there's the William Jennings Bryan uh, surrogate, which is uh, Matthew Harrison Brady. And he represents, of course, backwards thinking and, uh-huh. and all that. And again, it would have been so easy to play up this guy's ignorance and this guy's stubbornness and and just make him out to be some moron who's about to burn all the books in town. And the thing is this. So, okay, so first off, he doesn't play him like that. I'll get to how he does play him in a second. But that stuff... A lot of that stuff is in the script. Uh So what do you do? If you want to play this character as real, but there's so much in the actual story that says this guy was a caricature. Um, And that's to... He realizes there are moments here and there where the guy... He realizes that the character himself is constantly putting on his own performance. To really make his case, he feels like, I can't let anybody see what I'm really thinking or feeling. If I feel a moment of panic, I can't let them see that, you know? Uh And so he realizes that this man is performing just as much as I'm performing. And so, um, so you know, the character of Brady tends to speechify and all that. And so he plays him as a man who knows he is giving a speech. And, you know, Uh and so, like, but he will have moments where the mask falls. And he uses that as opportunities to show us vulnerability in the character. So that all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I just kind of feel bad for this guy at this point. Like there, like there is a moment where it's clear the courtroom has turned and nobody's listening to him anymore, but he still wants to talk. He's still clinging Mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, his knowledge of the Bible and that kind of thing. And so like he, he's like listing off like books of the Bible and about halfway through, like people have started stopped listening, but he has to he keeps going, hoping to prove to people just how faithful of, of a Christian he is. It's a heartbreaking scene, and it's a shame that in that movie, so many people come away remembering Spencer Tracy, who's very good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Frederick March has a lot of heavy lifting to do, and it should be noted that uh, they recently about like 10 years ago made it for HBO with Jack Lemmon in the Spencer Tracy role and George C. Scott in the uh, Frederick March role and George C. Scott does a really solid job with it too. So I'm going to move on to the last thing on my list but he he was in several things after this uh, which was Seven Days in May directed by John Frankenheimer. Which you've been telling me to watch. I've been telling you to watch for a long time because when I I just kind of it's one of those things where I casually watched it and I was like oh my gosh this is amazing how do you formally watch a movie what formerly no formally formally because you, you're saying you watched it casually oh okay well, well Remy, walk me through your routine when you're not casually watching a movie when you're formally watching a movie oh well it's when I go to a video <laughs> store with the express purpose 
of saying, you know what? I've heard a lot about this Citizen okay. Kane movie. I, I'm, I've I'm, i made an appointment with it. Okay. But you don't sit up straight like on the couch while you're watching I it? I kind of do. <laughs> okay. Because I don't want to miss a thing like Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, see, I took your little joke and I took it seriously. What do you think of that? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Seven Days in May, it's, uh, it's a movie basically about how made, of course, in the height of the uh, paranoia about the Cold War. And... Um, Basically, he plays the president, and he's this liberal president who's viewed as spineless, and the country in general is like very much against him because he's signed this peace accord that nobody is, is on board with. Um, and this general, played by um, Burt Lancaster, is planning a military coup and is going to overtake the president. And um, You know who I like? Who do you like? Burt Lancaster. I kind of like him, too. We should do an episode on him someday. I absolutely agree. Okay. Um, but uh, hold us accountable to that, listeners. Um, <laughs> but uh, – and there is – there is one – basically, it's near the end. There's a scene between Burt Lancaster and Frederick March. And, you know, there's every, – well, every once in a while, there will be a scene between two, like, giant actors – like, you know, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and like, Heat or something where you're like, oh, man, I don't see this very often. And the scene where the general – I mean, it's – the way it's shot by Frankenheimer, it's clear the the scene is about the general. I mean, the camera's looking down on the president. He's seated, and he's kind of slumped over. He's pretty much defeated emotionally in this scene, and it's looking up at the general. And he's giving these speeches and, like – and the president's kind of mumbling and trying to interject where he can. And over and over the course of the scene, it's an amazing thing to behold. Over the course of the scene, the camera levels out. And the president, all of a sudden, like, there's just one little moment where the general is speechifying. And you just see this little thing on Frederick March's face as the president where he's like, oh, okay, I've got this guy now. I've got him figured out. I didn't have him before, but now I do. He's in this for himself. He says he's in it for all these uh, for the people, but now I've got him. And so, this he just flips this tiny switch. You cannot, you can't even pinpoint a huge change in his performance. But he now has the confidence of knowing where this guy is coming from, mm. and and from then on he dominates that scene. But doesn't you know? It's he doesn't change the performance from like. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of mumbling in general. I don't think you should kill me, you know, or anything like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, general, I think it's this. He's using the same tone of voice. He's still it's like, uh, like Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in True Romance. Yeah. Like that scene. Yeah. And it's, uh, and that's, I, you know, among, among other things, I mean, that scene really, I was like, this guy is amazing because uh-huh. through almost nothing, I mean, he has taken the power away from Burt Lancaster in a military uniform. That's hard to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so it's just that scene really is is amazing. He's good in, in the whole f- film, of course, but that scene really uh, got my attention. But uh, anyway. All right. So, well, this has been Frederick March. Frederick March. Um, we got to go. We got to uh, go. This is a late night record, and yeah. we've gone long. So, yeah. uh, hey, keep those questions coming for <laughs> the uh, – <laughs> We are so passive-aggressive, David. <laughs> Keep sending us uh, questions for the Ask Tyler and Ask Battleship Retention video segments, which we will be doing once we've gotten that right question. Exactly. We've gotten so many. 
We just got to filter through it. Yeah. But, uh, but keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. Please. Serious. <laughs> no, serious. Serious. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.